Hello, everybody. It's Fight on Twist 2017 USC preview and predictions. Uh, and I am doing sort of a mega episode today. I am pleased to be joined by one half of Traveler Hates Thursday, at Samanjabari on Twitter. Not the at, but just Samanjabari in real life. Saman, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, pretty excited to talk a little uh, college football with you. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, USC start out the year with a game at Western Michigan. And they won't have Corey Davis. They won't have P.J. Fleck. Uh, Western Michigan will not. The Broncos. USC, on the other hand, will have Sam Darnold, will have a – boatload of production turning in uh, not just Ronald Johnson, but Deontay Burnett. Um, that's a game that we both think USC, it's only a matter of whether or not they'll cover the spread, right? They're going to win that game? Yeah, Ronald Jones, Sam Darnold, Deontay Burnett um, should all lead FD to a pretty easy victory uh, per uh, Phil Connell's USC preview on SBNation.com. He has a projected margin of victory for his Trojans at 26.6. While that is an astounding margin of victory, uh, and you should generally probably take the under on that because you never know when starters will get pulled and whatnot. Um, I think you know the the sign that it's going to be a pretty big win for for SC is will be true. Uh, you know, I, something catastrophic would have to happen. I think for for USC to drop that game somehow. Yeah, you, you know the thing that I don't like doing with SC is betting for them to beat the spread. Because SC are a weird team. They are a team that there are certain games where they go into it thinking it's going to be tougher than it is, and then they just lay down a stomping. And they wind up clearing the spread by a ridiculous amount. Then there is games against opponents like these where the, the 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 game that comes to my mind is Hawaii several years ago when they beat them. I think the, the final score was forty four to ten. Is that right? Is that yeah, that's right. That's okay, forty four to ten, I think. But the narrative after that was how much USC struggled to get going. Um, obviously, that season, it all fell apart, and there was more there than <laughs> we knew about. But um, it, it, it seems to me that SC, when they come into these games, even if they're winning comfortably, they do what I like to call the proper thing. They don't just continue applying pressure to their opponent's throats. They generally ease off. They generally stop at around, I don't know, 49, 40-ish, high 40s. It feels like that's when they start putting in the backup units. And sometimes some of these games end up being a little closer than than you really ought to look at them and say, oh, this game was really close. No, it's garbage time. But they don't end up covering the spread. Do you feel like this is one of those games where they're going to win heavily but maybe not cover the spread? Yeah, that that definitely has a feel of it, especially because it's the first game of the season and something we were talking about before uh, we started recording was the fact that USC doesn't have a bye week. So 
any sort of opportunity that I think USC will have as the season goes along to rest starters and to decrease uh, probability of injury for different players, uh, I think they'll take full advantage of that. And hopefully for, for USC fans, we'll see a lot of uh, backups get some run in this game. Um, but yeah, I, that therefore, you know, decreasing the chance that, that USC beat the spread. Although we don't know exactly what the spread is for that game, but um, I, yeah, I, 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 it at, I thought I saw it at the the line was over uh, seventeen, seventeen and a half. That feels that right. Um, I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I, I, it, I the lines for these things always change as we get closer to game day, but I thought that I'd finally check the line out on that game. But either way, you brought up something fun on Twitter in in transfer windows, and I kind of joked around saying American fans couldn't handle the the soccer transfer window. I want to ask you about another footballing concept that we could see from USC because something you brought up. And, and trust me, it plays into our conversation. You, you look at that game against Western Michigan and you say, okay, this is a game where I think USC are going to get out to a big lead and then hopefully we're going to start seeing some backups in there. Well, they've got Stanford the very next week. Yeah. If you're Clay Helton and you know that Stanford's going to come with it physically, Physically, I mean, we, we look at Bruce Feldman's body blow theory teams that play Stanford and how well they do the following week. Um, unfortunately, after that, USC gets to play Texas, which we'll also get to. But do you think that Clay Helton maybe looks at halftime, say if FB are winning, hmm, let's say 35 to six, two field goals, are all that Western uh, Michigan has come up with. Do you think Clay Helton starts to pull guys knowing Stanford's the next week? Um, or do you leave the guys in there, let them get their fitness, and let them get their sea legs under them for a full game? I don't know if it'll be a full game, uh, but I don't think it'll be halftime. I think you'll probably see, you know, if it's, if it gets to like 42-6 pretty quickly, for example, um, and you have, like, you know, you're like halfway through the third quarter, uh, I think that's kind of where you'll start seeing it. I, I don't know that he'll ever, Clay Helton doesn't seem to be the guy that will truly ever kind of pull guys at halftime. Um, I think, you know, guys that he knows about, you know, like the Deontay Burnett, the Sam Darnold, the Ronald Joneses, who will be the first to get pulled in that kind of situation. Uh, and then, you know, kind of guys that may be working their way back from injury, he'll maybe want them to play a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, that, that leads to you a couple guys in the offensive line that may be in question. Maybe Ken Bigelow, defensive tackle, uh, might be getting a little bit more run than, you know, initially thought. But, yeah, I, halftime seems too early to me. I, th- I think uh, I think Helton would, you know, depends. It'll be a case-by-case basis, but most probably like midway through the third quarter. Now, the reason that I brought up halftime, and and I agree with you, I don't really see any coach doing it at halftime, which is really odd, though, because what's the difference between halftime and approximately 15 minutes from then? (laughs) What I don't know. But 
But I, I guess it's the appearance of leaving your best guys in and giving the fans their money's worth. Uh, the reason that I ask that is because moving on from, from, from Western Michigan and coming right into that Stanford game, this is the first. Now, USC's schedule kind of sets up in quarters. Um, they get Stanford, and they get them early. But that traditionally hasn't always worked out well for USC. They've only got one victory, I believe, in the last five meetings. Um, the how do you... football account, mind you, was very kind enough to remind the, the college football world of that this summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering where I got that stat from until I remembered that you said Stanford football was kind of – I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where I got that stat from. Thanks, Stanford football. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah. I mean, does the trend continue? Is this is this another year? Because, you know, people thought when, okay, Andrew Luck's gone, Kevin Hogan, nobody, you know, this guy is garbage, and people thought he was garbage. I mean, I remember one year where we're like, wow, Kevin Hogan is awful. And yet Kevin Hogan had a prolific career. Like, I think that the, the, he was – uh, amount of games he won was like 10, 10 or 8, I think, while he was there at Stanford. Um, I just – what is it about Stanford, first off, that makes them such an impossible matchup for USC? Has it been the coaching? Yeah, I think it's absolutely been the coaching. And I think now it's – you know, now uh, – I mean, obviously what Harvard built and then what Shaw has carried over has been – pretty remarkable and there's no you know you never it's so funny I think about Stanford that you hear from Notre Dame fans and and you know sometimes USC fans is they don't complain about the academic uh, restrictions you never hear Stanford uh, people or and you know you never hear David Shaw whine about oh it's so hard to get kids into the school he just makes it happen and he finds guys that fit He's one of those guys that's really good at identifying what he wants out of players and how they fit schematically what he wants to do. It also helps that he recruits ridiculously well on the offensive and defensive lines. I think he's made a point of really just kind of focusing on those two position groups. And, you know, of course, Christian McCaffrey has been uh, falls outside of that and was extremely uh, unbelievable as a player to watch. And then, you know, Andrew Luck, as you talked about, but, He's really focused on the offensive and the defensive line, and you're kind of seeing that, you know, as a response from Clay Helton. He talked about it, and now his first full, full true recruiting class as head coach, you kind of saw that come to fruition where he's trying to go toe-to-toe with Stanford in terms of being that big O-line, D-line class out in the Pac-12. Um, while, you know, Stanford was able to get, I believe, two of the top five uh, offensive tackles this past recruiting cycle, USC recruited really well along the whole line. So I think as for this game and how it pertains to this game, Stanford is Stanford, right? Like, you you know what they're going to do. They're going to try to beat you up. They're going to try to, uh, you know, just really run the ball, and they have good skill players. People think that they don't. They have, they have their incredible tight ends. Uh, they have really good a really good wide receiver this year, and Trent Irwin is probably going to take another big step. And then Bryce Love is looked every looked looked every bit the part 
you know, when he was kind of plugged in there for Christian McCaffrey. So I, I don't think that they're going to slow down, per se, as everyone else might. I think that, you know, the fact the difference maker for USC for this game specifically is one that it's at home. That's going to help. That one win was at home. Um, that that uh, that that's in the stands of football is what we kind of like to point out. And then the fact that you know Sam Darnold, he, he is the ultimate difference maker, and him and and Deion Burnett have this, this connection. Uh, Daniel Imitur Bebe have this connection. This is the deepest. The USC offense has really kind of been in a while, uh, and he doesn't seem to have that problem that uh, whether it was a coaching thing or whether it was a quarterback thing with um, with Matt Barkley and Cody Kessler and or, and or Link Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian, where he kind of drifted towards and focused on one wide receiver. Darnold has this really, truly ahead-of-his-years ability to kind of look throughout over the field and, and make just the right decision with the ball. And even if that just means checking it and running it for, for a few yards as well. So I think that's kind of what the um, what the difference maker is going to be for sure for, for this game. Whether that means USC wins the game or not, uh, I'd like to think that they do, considering he's at home. But, uh, you know, there's still a lot of time for, for, for things to happen between now and September 9th. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny, too, about McCaffrey because – it was really supposed to be another NFL Hall of Famer's son who was supposed to light up the backfield for Stanford. But if, instead of it being Barry Sanders Jr., it ended up being Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Um, I think that given the production we saw out of McCaffrey, that is a trade that uh, – David Shaw will make 10 times out of 10. And it's, yeah, I would have made that trade 10 times out of 10. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, don't think you're, I don't think you'll see any uh, Stanford coach or fan complain about what happened there. Barry <laughs> <laughs> Sanders got robbed. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey didn't do enough. I want to meet that Stanford fan. I want to meet him. Uh, he exists. I know he does. Um, so now – we you you look does have to replace and you mentioned um a couple of of uh, of key players for the cardinal but specifically in this game we know it's going to be one in the trenches are there one or two guys along the offensive or defensive line that you think could have an impact for stanford for stanford it's going to be you know, no Solomon Thomas, so that's a big loss. Uh, but for Stanford, along the defensive line, you know, it's going to be Harrison Phillips. He's he's that kind of that in our in the conversation on on the Travel Thursday's podcast that we had with Hank Waddles of, of Go Mighty Card. Harrison Phillips was kind of the guy that he pointed out to be as kind of you know coming back from injury, but will be the anchor of that of that unit. So uh, as as Harrison Phillips goes, most probably is as the rest of the defensive line goes for Stanford. Uh, as for the offensive line, Casey Tucker's is a big part, and then I know that I don't know uh, whether or not uh, David Shaw's going to be playing his five-star freshman tackles in Foster Sparrow and Walker Little, but you know, Casey Tucker is, is kind of the, the guy to watch, I think, on the offensive side for, for Stanford, and he'll be busy because he'll be trying to keep 
uh, Porter Dustin and Uchenna Norosu off of whomever the quarterback is uh, in terms of for, for Stanford. And we'll get to Captain America in a minute, but I, I, I do want to say about that Stanford uh, offensive line and whether or not Shaw will start them. There's a possibility that he could, but Shaw's a guy that likes to bank, especially with offensive linemen. Uh, there's some guys who just come in and start right away. And, 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 if, and if one of those two that you mentioned, uh, Little and who's the other one? Um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not up no, on my Stanford. What's up? Sarah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, either of those two guys, if they are going to start, we're going to hear something about it pretty quickly in fall camp. Um, but I think that the, the – point that you brought up at the beginning of this podcast is that David Shaw likes to focus specifically on those two units. And for him, an offensive line and a defensive line are the two most critical factors for his team winning the game. Some of those young guys may be good enough to start on it, but how they gel with the rest of the unit is going to be sort of – I guess the thing to watch for, because in the event that the story coming out of camp is that one of those two are going to make their start, it would seem to me it would be unlikely that they would start at tackle. Wouldn't you think he'd start them on the interior rather than saying, okay, I'm going to put you up against Porter Gustin and Uchenna Nwusu I mean, talk about throwing your dogs to the fire. That just doesn't seem like something David Shaw would do. I feel like he'd protect them and move, put them in the interior. You're probably right. Uh, you know, that, that sounds like something Shaw would do, and he could very well do that. Um, what's astounding is looking at their measurables, uh, 6'7", 315 for Cyril, and then 6'7", 310 for Little. So neither of them are very little. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, starting them inside would be the move I think that David Shaw would probably lean to. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of who they open up. I believe in Australia uh, against Rice, so uh, mm, that'll be a tough one. <laughs> yeah. The biggest battle, the biggest battle that's going to occur in that is who's going to be more, um, I guess you could say, obstinate: the mob, marching owl band, or the Leland Stanford Junior. Uh, marching band, LSJUMB. I, I, I've always wanted to see the mob and, and Stanford's band go at it because usually mob placate to the other teams by, like when the, like when UCLA played Rice, the halftime show was USC with a dollar sign and that was done by Rice's marching band. Um, that's the kind of stuff that they do. I'm hoping for a good old-fashioned band showdown because I don't think those two are going to have much of a contest on the field. But you bring up Porter Gustin and Uchenna Nwosu. Porter Gustin, this guy's built like a brick house, right? Yeah, you could probably put him right there up with Tommy Trojan and, and, and see if, you know, they, they've got the same muscles. Um, but, yeah, he's pretty ridiculous as a human being. Um, now, whether he grows as an outside linebacker, pass rusher type is, you know, is up is up for debate. You know, so people granted he was he's a true junior, so this is his third year. Um, he had he had the most uh, tackles for loss on the team with thirteen. 
and the most sacks was five and a half. Now, five and a half isn't a huge number. Um, so I think fans are kind of expecting a jump in that stat specifically. Uh, but the 13 tackles for loss is definitely encouraging. And, yeah, he's he's one of Bruce Feldman's freaks. Uh, he's, he, by all accounts, lives in, lives in the gym, maybe even sleeps in there on occasion too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, a different kind of human being. What do you think progress would look like for Port Augustine in 2017? Or rather, you've mentioned the sack total. Is that specifically what you're looking to see go up? Or is there something about his style of play that you think could help him better excel at the next level? He needs to, you know, he's kind of, you know, as any young pass rusher type does, um, he kind of has struggled with pass rushing moves. Uh, he's kind of relied on the on his bull rush a little bit too much, um, and he's kind of I think found some some issue with that along the way. But by all accounts, he's consistently working on his on his pass rushing technique. Yeah, and I think you know for that position, and if that's the position that he wants to play at the next level, uh, you, you need more production in terms of sacks. I mean, whether it's outline straight sacks or if you want to see. Um, you know, QB hurries, sure, that's fine. But any sort of, like, pressure rate needs to go up for him. And maybe it's also just a proxy of the conference and, and the explosiveness offensively. Um, but, you know, we'll, I think all kind of all fans are kind of hoping uh, that, you know, that he takes a leap there. I don't, you know, I would never say that to his face because he's a very large man. Uh, I'm also sure he's a very nice man. But, you know, that, I think that's kind of the the thing that we that all USC fans would like to see. Yeah, I just have a feeling people walk up to Port Augustine and go, my, aren't you a big son of a bitch? You know, like, I just, I feel like people do. Like, the guy is built like Captain America. But Absolutely, you, yeah. But, but you bring up something that I think is, is sort of the, the bane of all college pass rushers, who are much larger and more physically dominant than their peers, which is that they tend to rely on the bull rush rather than mastering techniques, swim moves, steps, punches, so on and so forth. These are the things that help you become a better pass rusher at the next level and maybe why Porter Dustin projects more as a linebacker at the next level maybe than a pass rusher, depending on what happens this season. The beauty of Pendergast system is that it really is kind of fluid and allows for people to move. Um, going back to Sam Darnold, um, this is a guy who I think much of USC season is going to go as he goes. Fortunately, as you said, he's a guy that likes to distribute the football, and he's got guys in Imator Bebe and Burnett and Pittman and so on and so forth who, you know, USC has recruited at wide receiver. Just they have recruited so much talent. It is not even funny. What's crazy is, I, at least to me, it's some of the talent that emerges out of that. It's not who you'd expect it to be. Now, I didn't expect Deontay Burnett to fail, but I didn't. Deontay Burnett, you got to remember, was a three-star blue shirt, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, he was all set to go to Wazoo, and 
uh, it was, I believe it was Sark at the time, came in at the last moment and, and swooped him out. Uh, he was a, yeah. he's a Sierra kid. And uh, what's amazing about him is that he looks like one of the cleaner pass route runners that that SC has had in a few years. I mean, kind of like that Robert Woods mentality. Um, Juju was a lot brute force, and Marquise was a lot uh, of speed and just kind of sheer agility. But in terms of route running and knowing where to be and finding spots, Deontay Burnett feels like that player. It feels like Sam always knows where he's going to be. You know, that insane throw in the in the Rose Bowl game where Sam Sam Darnold dropped it right in the middle between three guys, but he knew Deontay was going to be there. Uh, so, you know, to, to have that kind of talent in, in terms of route running is really, really kind of special, in, in my opinion. Yeah, it's – Burnett is uh, – and, and I bring this up a lot because one of the things that aids USC receivers – a number of them when they get to the next level. And I brought this up with the Rams. One of the things that Robert Woods did really well coming out of college was he was one of the better route runners that USC had. The problem is, is that Robert Woods was a dynamic receiver in college. He's a possession receiver in the NFL. USC tends to have a lot of guys that are the guy when they're there. But when they get to the NFL, they're a secondary or a tertiary receiver. And some of them have, have had a difficult time adjusting to life at the next level, Nelson Aguilar. And then other guys like Robert Woods have maybe started out rough a little bit at first, but somewhat settled into their roles. And now he made a big money move to the Rams this year. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he works alongside another guy that can supposedly run routes in Cooper Cup. That'll be interesting. Um, but we get back to what USC has on offense. Now, I'm removing Dort Burnett. I'm removing Emator Bebe because tight ends are plenty. Um, who do you think is going – the running back situation. Justin Davis moves on. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Guess who he's with? The Rams. We'll have a Rams podcast on here one day, I swear. Um, and now it's looking like it could be Rojo, but there are also a number of talented backs that USC has who could make an impact in fall camp. Do you think there's somebody besides Ronald Johnson who can push for playing time right away, whose name isn't really being bandied about right now, but will become fall camp? Well, the obvious they, the obvious person there would be to would be to say Stephen Carr, the the five star uh, running back brought in this past recruiting cycle. But if you follow USC Twitter and you kind of have been following the off season and the player run practices a little bit, whether it's on USCfootball.com or whether it's Randy Torres coverage, you'll see a lot of word being spread about about Vivai Malapai, uh-huh. redshirt freshman of Hawaii. Um, and they stole from Oregon, by the way, in the, yeah. in the second to last recruiting cycle. He was another guy that they swooped. He was a signing day flip, kind of like Burnett, that USC didn't have in the hen house but the staff knew about well before signing day. They thought there was a flip that they could get him to, and they did. Talk to me about Vave. 
so you know, I I haven't seen him with my own eyes, unfortunately. Uh, I live in the Bay Area and, and follow as much as I can online and talk to people as much as I can. But from everything that I hear is that he is not afraid of contact, which is different than you know any other sort of runner that they have, and he can really catch the ball. And that kind of combination that that he has is really kind of needs out of the backfield spot. While Ronald Jones is a really terrific running back, he's uh, he's a little on the lighter side, um, and he's obviously tremendously fast. And he's working on his pass catching game, but the critics' passes and have been kind of alluding to his his poor run blocking and his sorry his poor pass blocking and his poor pass catching. So uh, it seems it sounds like Malapai is kind of a little bit of everything, and he's um, kind of someone they'll lean on in the short yardage game, and also to kind of catch passes out of the backfield. So don't be surprised if he overtakes uh, Akacedric Ware, who is currently the number two by proxy, I would say, on the depth chart, because he was when Justin Davis was injured and Ronald Jones was the, was the primary runner. But yeah, it sounds like. Uh, Malapai might be getting some run, uh, definitely for for USC as the season goes on, maybe even early on. So, which one of those guys is the best guy to run against Stanford? Because you got the two guys from Texas, one of whom I think his freshman year was his best year yet, and that's Ronald Jones. I'm not so I am not so sure that Aka Cedric Ware has lived up to expectations. I'm not saying he's he's faltered either. I just don't know if expectations were set too high, if USC maybe kind of buried him to the, the point where he's only now just being able to get some touches. I don't know. He just – the fact that they're already looking at guys like Vave and, and, and pulling in five-star backs – tells me that USC isn't as confident in their backfield as they have been in past years. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's one way of looking at it, sure. Um, I think also, you know, what this ultimately could just end up being is, uh, you know, off-season workout stuff. And, you know, there, you, you always, there's always kind of one of those one or two guys that show up in the off-season, and then for whatever reason, they kind of fall off. Um, but, you know, I think... USC now has kind of gravitated to the way that the rest of college football and the, the rest of the NFL is kind of operating, that it doesn't just have to be a guy. Uh, there's no just one guy that that, that needs to be the, the primary runner. They'll, they'll be more than happy to get more more guys involved within the running game. But, you know, will runner Ronald Jones be the primary guy? I think so. Um, I just, you know, there's no one – really on the team from what I understand and from what I've seen so far that it really has the speed that he has. I mean, he can literally take any carry from any distance and, and score a touchdown off of it. And he is that kind of speed. So to kind of have that weapon is, and he's still a good runner, right? He still has good vision. He knows when it, what, which holes to hit. It's just a matter of, you know, who, who is going to emerge alongside Ronald Jones or behind Ronald Jones. And that's only going to make this team better. Agreed. All right. So looking at Stanford, how do you see this game playing out? Is this a game that's going to be won in the trenches with the run game? Or is this a game 
that's going to be won by the quarterbacks. I think it's going to be a, you know, Clay hasn't been shy about saying that he wants to run the ball. And that's, you know, with, with the talent you have at USC, it shouldn't, shouldn't be a struggle to really ever have to run the ball. Um, and that they'll definitely do that. It, you know, it'll be sort of determined in the trenches because there's going to be some, some uncertainty, at least as of right now on the offensive line, um, as to who is going to be, the, who will be the key players at, you know, the different positions and who's going to line up where and so on and so forth. But I think, you know, for, if USC is going to win this game, it'll, it'll probably be because of Sam Darnold. Uh, the defense is, is deep enough and talented enough for the first time in a while that I feel pretty confident about it. They had one glaring issue last year and that was giving it big plays, um, which really isn't Stanford's game. They kind of try to bleed the clock out as much as possible and it's, uh, it's death by a million paper cuts with them in terms of offensively speaking. Um, unless, you know, they have a, a, a Christian McCaffrey type play or a Bryce Love type play. Uh, hopefully not for Charger fans, but I think for USC to win this game, I think it's going to have to be Sam Darnold winning it for them. Yeah, I kind of think so too. In the game that, well, in the game, since, since we have already established that it's won, in the last five years, in the game that USC won, Cody Kessler did a lot in that game. Um, whether it was being the anti-Kessler um, and, and, and distributing the football, making sure that they ran the clock, putting themselves in, in – in, you know, when you play Stanford, you play the field position battle. You play you play that game because if you don't, you're going to wind up on the wrong side of it, and then you're playing directly into Stanford's hands because they're going to dominate time of possession already, and if you're trying to go 60, 70, 80, even 90 yards on that defense, David Shaw is going to take that, man. He is going to put his defense on the field, and he's going to say, I know these guys can make stops right up into the goal line. So if if you're SC, how important is special teams in this game? I think special teams is, is hugely important. And above anything else, if you, if you watched the Stanford-USC game last year, it was just, like you said, if you get off the field quickly – and you can't execute on offense, David Shaw is going to kill you. He's he's going to run the ball. He's going to really just kind of bore you to death. Um, and that's kind of the strategy that he has. But uh, special teams will be important. There's a little bit of turnover there at USC. Uh, they're going to have a new kicker as the the game-winning kicker of the Rose Bowl uh, was kicked off the team. Um, and then the punter they have uh, is coming back. Chris Toby is an Aussie guy. And he's not really a big. And that like, was Matt Bormeister, correct? Correct. Yeah, that was Bormeister. Yes. And Toby's not a big leg. Apparently, he has a big leg, but it seems like Baxter and Helton's general punt strategy is about uh, not allowing returns, and that's you know that's a that's a, a sufficient strategy and, and more directional based, and that that totally works. But yeah, if if more importantly above the special teams game is 
USC can't have three and outs on offense. If they have three and outs on offense, that that's what's going to kill them. Even if it's five or six play drives or anything like that, just be able to give your defense a breather against this kind of a team. Um, and but but that's that in the same way. I don't think that you can change Sam from being Sam, and I think that's something Clay Helton's done a really good job of, is that he's let Sam kind of be himself as a player on the field, and that that, that really kind of led the surge. The argument could be made that they shouldn't have lost to Utah, uh, and that they could have very easily gone undefeated from the moment that Sam Darnold became the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you feel like that Utah game was a game that just got away from them too quickly. Um, and, and well, you know, Utah is Utah, and strange things happen with Utah. But um, so we talked about Vave uh, at, at, at the running back position. Outside of Deontay Burnett, and this will be the last question before we skip over to uh, Texas, where we'll get a score from you on the Stanford game. But I want to ask about the receivers. Aside from Deontay Burnett, who do you think is going to step up? Because I've been waiting for a while for Mr. Young Michael Pittman. He came into SC with a body that most people would have killed for. Yeah, um, yeah he's he, he was a star on special teams last year, uh, which was pretty cool to see a five-star wide receiver come and kill it as a, a gunner on the punt return on the punt coverage unit and like kickoff. And he could unit. gun it. Yeah, he was he was really good at it. But yeah, I mean six four two ten, he's probably going to be the guy you think that that emerges. Um, there's going to be some some there's going to be plenty of opportunities. But what the, I think the best thing about this is that they don't really need to worry about that. There's a lot of guys that uh, that are going to have the opportunity to emerge, and I think the best thing that USC can do is just kind of let that happen organically, uh, let it figure itself out, uh, whether it's in fall camp or whether it's against starting against Western Michigan. Um, you have, you know, Joseph Lewis could be a guy. He came in. He's a five-star wide receiver. Um, Josh Umatorbebe, Daniel, the tight end's brother, uh, is also another possibility. But yeah, I think Pittman. Pittman's probably going to be the starter on the outside. Uh, um, Deontay Burnett is going to live in the slot. Uh, it would be interesting to see what happens with Stephen Mitchell. The reports have been that he's kind of back. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's former quarterback uh, Jalen Green as well. Uh, he's, he's fully committed back to the wide receiver spot. And although my dreams of him playing quarterback, <laughs> see, uh, I think have officially died now. That's okay. Given yeah. That. <laughs> you, hey, you and I held on to that dream for a while, man. Like, you you and I, I think, were the lone two that are like, this would be so awesome, especially after that spring game, dude. Yeah. Where he just floated that perler right over the middle for a touchdown. Oh, God. Yeah. I was like, oh, this kid, is, this kid <laughs> could be so fun. And then they yeah. ran him in a couple packages, and that was it. Yeah, yeah, he. I, I think you'll still see Jalen Green throw some t- some passes, but it'll be predominantly as a trick play, um, which also fun. But, um, but yeah, I think I think um, my money would be on on Pittman and Jalen Green starting outside, and then Deontay Burnett in the slot. If I had to call my shot today. 
That sounds that sounds fair. I I like those predictions mostly because I would probably have made a very similar prediction. I just look at Michael Pittman and I think given where he was at last year, usually you you earn your stripes on special teams and then the next step is an actual spot in the starting roster, assuming that you progress at your position and one would assume that Michael Pittman would progress. Um, uh, We will see, but uh, we've got a whole other game to get to. So give me your prediction on this and does it come down to a game-winning field goal? So, uh, God, um, I don't think it comes down to game-winning field goal. I think, I think SC wins by a touchdown. Um, I think SC finally has the talent at quarterback to kind of circumvent whatever issues they may have otherwise. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I'm going to say SC by a touchdown since it's at home. I like it. I like it. Now. We move on to a guy that both of us spoke very highly of um, in, in, in the search for, I say, a new head coach. But really what ended up happening is it was just a search around Clay Helton, um, which honestly, I really believe that Helton was, was the standout candidate all along. I, I think we've all seen how USC conducts their search and they typically don't they bring other people in but I think it's just lip service I swear to god I I, I really do um, yeah one of the biggest points of contention that Will and I had uh, throughout throughout last offseason was just the, the fake process of of uh, uh, in interviewing anybody else for the head coaching position at USC as it truly just seems like if you know the fight song, you're probably going to get a job in some capacity, and that is really bothersome for high-level hires, um, especially at, at you know the head football coach position. Um, but yeah, it was it still baffles us. I still wouldn't say that I'm happy with the process itself, but I'm um, still not sold on it. I I I look, man. I know Clay Helton did what he did, but. You know what, man? So did Bill Stewart, and then he turned out not to be the guy. Um, so did Gene Chizik, and he yep. also turned out not to be the guy. I'm just, I mean, these are horrible comparisons to make, but the possibility exists. I totally agree with you on that. It's like let's you and I, are, you and I, sound like we're having a moment about this hire. So I'm just like, look, man. Here's what I'm going to do. I am just going to nothing but support Helton and SC this year, but. If this hire doesn't work out, I'm going to be like, this is three hires in a row where I said, I told you so. Although I think I may have been defensible of the Kiffin hire, but at the time, I don't think any of us knew that Kiffin was as big of a bag of worms as he was at the time. Um, Either way... (laughs) Yeah, I just it, it, the the process was was pretty clear from the beginning that Clay Helton was was the runaway favorite, and when USC announced that Clay Helton was the guy, I think it shocked absolutely nobody. And that's the problem is that everybody thought Clay Helton was going to get it. He did get it. 
Um, and it just kind of worked out that way. They're, 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 you know, you, you look at a guy like Tom Herman, and why is it that you think USC stuck with a guy like Clay Helton rather than a guy like Tom Herman who, for all intents and purposes, had proven his chops at Houston? I mean, he was going to keep winning there, uh, you know, whether – he stayed at Houston or went somewhere else. The guy appears to be a winner. Um, I don't I really know that Tom Herman is the only guy that you could do this with, but since he's the, the guy that Clay Helton will be going opposite, what do you think it was about Helton that, that ultimately made USC comfortable? Was it just the simple fact that he's an SC guy? God, um, you know, it's, it's it has to do with I think the fact that since Pat Hayden made this hire, right? This was this was Pat Hayden's hire before Ron Swan stepped stepped in for him. Um, I think it's because Pat Hayden knew Clay Helton. I think it absolutely has to do with it. I think it's because he kind of was able to lead, uh, you know, SC through this kind of weird time. Uh, and, you know, he beat UCLA. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Like, that's the thing. That's what makes this so infuriating. Or maybe he had some sort of, you know, maybe we have to give Clay Helton a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Maybe he had a really impressive plan as to what he was going to do, whether it was. Maybe he had a compromise on, on, on Pat Hayden or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like a black, black file. Yeah, possible. <laughs> right? the, the, the possibilities are endless as to how Clay Helton does his job. But um, you know, he he made a tough decision in, in putting in Sam Darnold. You could argue why didn't he put in Sam Darnold right away? Um, but the fact that he made the decision to do that when he did should be should be uh, applauded. Um, but yeah, no, I think the jury is very much still out. Tom Herman seemed like the guy, right? I mean, Tom Herman was with the buzz and maybe he was never going to leave the state of Texas. He started his coaching career at UT. I think one of the first things he tweeted out was his graduate assistant business card uh, well, he, when he was a coach at UT. Um, and then, yes, he was under Urban Meyer, but he, you know, coached in Houston and has been a kind of Texas guy his whole life and something that a lot of uh, people talk about. We had Ian Boyd on, on, they just talk about this is that he the first thing that he had prioritized was talking and building rebuilding relationships with the Texas high school coaches which is a huge thing so you know maybe it was a pipe dream all along that uh, SE would get Herman but yeah I mean the process was infuriating it was one of the stupidest things that you could have seen happen is it just you said you were going to conduct a search and then the search ended a week after the season ended and didn't really make any sense as to, you know, the exploring all the possibilities that truly existed out there. Yeah, it 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 it, it seemed really weird to me. And I will say this: I I think Helton does deserve a ton of credit for for making the switch to Darnold and sticking with him. And 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 uh, you know, look, man, you, you don't just come back from down twenty one against Penn State. No, not you, at all. You Absolutely. you you've got to have some chops to be able to win that game. You can get some luck that goes your way, but 
as in the case with Barca's 6-1 victory over PSG to, to knock the Champions League after, bananas. Uh, after PSG had knocked them out the week before, uh, those who follow soccer will totally understand what that meant. But um, Sheer insanity of the soccer game. Dude, that was Neymar taking Barca, putting him on his back and saying, I got this. That was just the most phenomenal game I've seen from Neymar. Um, but you, you know, you, you have to have some coaching chops to overcome odds like that. But at the same time, I look at that and say, how is it that the same guy who knew to start Sam Darnold when he did also thought it was a good idea to start Max Brown? And maybe Clay, maybe Clay Helton had to grow maybe it took Clay Helton a month to to finally grow a voice to where he was like, All right, dude, you're not it. Yeah, I it's yeah, that's a good question. It's a fair question that you can't really argue against other than maybe he thought Max really was the guy. Um whether it was the fact that he stayed with his turn, uh he was named a captain, so that it wasn't just, you know, on the service level, every every account of Max seems like he's a great kid and has a great cat on his shoulders. But every report also out there, if you read prior to the season or were following along, said Sam Darnold was better. Kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe and, not. You know, obviously he looks like it now, but maybe not at the time better. But definitely, like there's, I don't know how comfortable Max Brown. Should be. What I re- what I remember the most, and whether it was Ryan or Gerard talking about it, was that you you, you have Sam Darnold and Max Brown were supposedly neck and neck by the time the week ended, or by the time that uh, fall camp ended. Now, if you do believe that, or if you believe that they were close, in my opinion, if you've got a guy who's basically a graduated senior at that time, which is what why Max was able to leave the way he was, he had already graduated, he did it in three years. Um, if you've got a guy like that who's neck and neck with a true sophomore, I'm putting in the true sophomore and I'm letting him grow because if a, for all intents and purposes, if a senior quarterback is at the same level as a redshirt sophomore, I think you owe it to yourself and the team to start the guy who clearly is, has more upside. And that would have been Darnold. Yeah, you would think, but maybe he didn't want to, you know, kind of break Darnold's confidence if he was going against Bama in week one. I think that has something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't I disagree with anything what you're saying. <laughs> I, you know what? Looking at that Bama game is probably the biggest argument for Max is you don't want to put Darnold out there. Like, would Darnold have had the same season if he were the quarterback at the end of fifty-six to three? I'd like to still think so, but who knows? Those types of games can make and break kids, man. Um, so, you know, Tom Herman gets a job at Texas, and now what was looking like it was going to be a, a, a game that, well, was probably going to be Clay Helton against uh, Charlie Strong is instead going to be Clay Helton against Tom Herman. And 
we know not what Texas brings to the table. Well, we know what Texas brings to the table. We know not what Texas brings to the table under Tom Herman. What we do know is that it doesn't take a lot of time for him to get going. And Texas is a school that really and truthfully does recruit itself to some degree. It had, Oklahoma, I feel, has been getting the better of the, the Texas kids, and a lot of those kids have gone to Baylor. But Texas was able to gain some respectability in recruiting under Charlie Strong. They, the wins didn't come, but the kids did. So it's not like Tom Herman has a bare cupboard. How much of a fight do you expect Texas to put up in this game? I think, hmm, you know, I think, I think Herman's a fantastic coach. Um, you know, from what he did as an offensive coordinator at Ohio State and as the head coach at Houston, I think there's a little bit of kind of weeding out kind of the way that Charlie Strong was trying to do of weeding out guys that he didn't think would be contributors uh, and or character concerns. Um, but I think, uh, I think, I don't know how much of a fight it's really going to be. Uh, it's a 10 point, about a 10 point line per Bill Connolly's advanced stats. And that feels right, especially because it's at you at the Coliseum. Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Texas has some things undecided. They have a returning quarterback, but they also brought one in that might be more of a fit for, for Herman's offense for SC fans. Uh, and really for Texas fans or college football fans in general, I'd really recommend reading uh, Ian Boyd's piece on in, on InsideTexas.com where he kind of does a full breakdown of, of what Texas's game plan could be to, to defeat USC. Now, uh, I would also encourage people to go check out that piece by Mr. Boyd. Um, what I'm curious is, is what kind of game is this going to be? Because this feels like our Herman team, it's going to be a high-scoring affair, but Tom Herman knows how to bring a defense. Yeah, and he brought uh, he brought Todd Orlando over uh, from from Houston to to be the to be the uh, defensive coordinator as well. So, uh, you know, I, it feels like it'll be a high-scoring affair. Um, you know, just because of, of of the talent that SC has, it'll I think it'll force. Texas hand and Texas didn't really have a great defense last year, so the talent might not be there yet for Texas. Um, but um, I, I think I think the game tilts to SC favor a little bit. You know, just as long as Sam Darnold loses this, I think uh, a lot of this this year will be as as Sam Darnold goes. Um, but but we'll see. It, the, I think Texas needs to focus on stopping the run, and they had issues with that last year, and. Uh, with that, you leave yourself your defense susceptible to to Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold can actually run a read option, and he can run it well, which is an element that SC has really hasn't had in a while. Will SC run that read option though? Because what we've seen out of SC up until this point has been a lot of power football. We haven't seen too much even in the Rose Bowl game, by way of read option. We've seen plays, but we've not really seen like, okay, here's SC setting up. Okay, on this drive, they ran a decent chunk of their plays out of the read option. Now, that's not necessarily SC's gimmick, but 
the good teams have those packages. Alabama, they can roll up in those packages. Then they can also spread you out. Then they can bring you in close and play in a foam booth. We've got to get to the point where SC wants to do that. We know Sam Darnold has the capability of doing that. Do you think this is the year that Clay Helton opens things up more for Darnold, not just in the passing game, but with his legs? Yeah, I think it may not be – I think you're right. I don't think it's going to ever be a focal point. Um, of the USC offense, but I think it'll definitely be, maybe there's more, a little bit more of it this, this year. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's a subset of plays within each, within each package exists. Um, I think they've also done a good, uh, they've mixed in some, some RPOs as well, which is a first. They even tried it with Max Brown, which was hilarious and it seemed unnatural then, but yeah, Sam Donald is definitely a more natural guy for, for that kind of, misdirection-based offense, and it's there. It, it definitely exists. Uh, USC is a spread team as much as old crotchety USC fans may not like to hear it. They, their base their base offense is three wide, a, a running back, and, and a tight end. And um, that's that's what it is now, and USC fans need to deal with that. And I think Sam Donald thrives in that, and I don't, you know, I don't think you need to make the full offense based off of off the off the zone read, but if you have it enough to keep the defense honest and to have the defense worry about it, that's that's enough to cause headaches for defensive coordinators. Yeah, that's what I think is is I have been fighting against the current for so long. I've been just hoping and praying that SC will bring in a guy, modernize the offense, bring in those zone read uh, concepts. You get some, you know, you get a running quarterback, a guy who can actually take off and book it. Um, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. It's just never going to happen. You can keep hoping for it. You can keep hoping for it. But certain schools, like your Alabamas, like your SDs, are going to live and die by the way that they've always played football. And fans may not like it. They, they may hate it. Uh, but it's, it's also what gets the recruits. Um, you don't eventually end up being an SC without first putting in the work. Um, so if SC wants to go with three wide, a, a tight end, and a running back, that's their prerogative. Um, I'm just curious. Can they finally make it all work in a season because thus far we've seen things work in certain games. We've seen things work against certain teams. We've even seen USC sort of figure out certain head coaches. Like Todd Graham used to give USC problems at first. Eh, not so much anymore. I don't think Todd Graham gives too many people. I'm not even sure how Todd Graham is still the head coach at Arizona State, to be honest with you. I think they should have gotten rid of him by now, but that's just me. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong there? Like We we just had a good conversation with Kalen Jones of House of Sparky, uh, that podcast has yet to air. But um, Todd Graham is kind of in a – he doesn't think Todd Graham's been really that – much danger. I think if he kind of falls completely on his face again, then maybe. Um, but uh, they'll be a little bit better this year. But this, I think this year, 
kind of the timing with everything. If you run through USC's schedule in terms of is this going to be the year that it kind of all clicks. Uh, aside from the big uh, issue of no bye week, uh, which is definitely going to be a challenge for, for the team, you look at Stanford is at home. UT is at home. Western Michigan is restarting, rebuilding. If this was last year, the game probably would have been a little bit more interesting, but you're still part of one, would have won anyways. Cal is completely a mess in, in starting from scratch, essentially. Um, Wazoo, they get in September, which is good. <laughs> Wazoo tends to start really slow and finish strong. So, uh, although it's a Friday night game and weeknight games are, are not fun for USC fans, um, I think that's fine. Oregon State is. See, I still the- think, I think Wazoo, I mean, cause Falk is back, right? Yeah, Falk is back. Falk is See, back. That, that, that's, it, with a Mike Leach team, it's always the quarterback. I know it's the receivers, but Mike Leach always goes and gets guys who can create yards after the catch. And everybody looks at, like, River Craycraft, oh, that guy, that guy is the guy. Well, sure, yeah, but, you know, Mike Leach brings in these guys by the dozens, guys you can catch the ball on a bubble screen and, and, and take it out, man. You've got If you want to play wide receiver for Mike Leach, the first thing you have to be able to do is block. Um, yeah. So definitely. I I I... I, I <laughs> I'm kind of nervous about Wazoo. That game has me slightly nervous, but I agree with you that having it early is better. Yeah, I think the the games that I'm most worried about are Stanford um, and and at Notre Dame, maybe. But so going back through it, you know, Oregon State is on the up and up, but they're not there yet. Uh, Utah is at home, and they have a lot of replacing to do there. Also, as fantastic as the coach's winning cam is. Uh, USC seems to only have troubles with Utah on the road and not at the Coliseum. Um, Notre Dame has a ton of talent. They always do. Yeah, everyone loves that they went 4-8 and eight last year, but they got really unlucky in those games. They lost a whole bunch of close games, so that may flip a little bit. Although, you know, at the same time, they have a brand-new offensive coordinator, a brand-new defensive coordinator, Brian Kelly, is studiest of personalities there. Um, so, yeah, that's, that. you know, as, as though as that could be a question. I don't know that it will be. Um, Brandon Wimbush is getting a lot of love. I think in the off season he essentially forced one guy to go pro and another guy to transfer. So maybe the hype there is real. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see on that. ASU we touched on. U of A kind of a mess as as genius as Rich Rod is as a, as a head coach. Uh, it may not U of A may not be the place that it works out. And Colorado. I, I think Rich Rod is, has done all he can with Arizona. I truthfully do. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, the, we'll see who the who quarterback is, whether it's Coyle Tate again, um, or it's former baseball player whose name is escaping me that was a number one pick but is now uh, walking on as a quarterback. Um, but then you have Colorado, who has the mess of its own and really kind of surprised that Mike McIntyre kept his job. Um, but he did. And then he just had to pay, I believe, a $500,000 fine 
or $50,000 fine. I might have added the zero, but I'm not sure. And then UCLA is an enigma wrapped in uh, a Zephyr that no one really knows how to figure out because Jim Mora says weird things. And although draft version is supremely talented, they desperately, desperately needed to stay healthy. I think they also desperately, desperately needed him to grow up. Um, which also possible. Which I think he has done. Um, one of the things you've not really heard from Josh Rosen, whereas last year it was, you know, wearing a uh, F Trump hat or whatever, whatever else he, you know, he may have done. You know, I, I, I look at Josh Rosen, I look at UCLA, and I'm not sure what to make of them. And it's not because of Rosen. It's because of Mora. I'm not sure what to make of Mora. Like, people feel like they got one in, in, in Texas A&M fans in, in getting uh, Noel Mazzoni from, from UCLA. But people who watch the Pac-12 look at Noel Mazzoni and say, <laughs> all right, well, maybe UCLA can do a little bit better. Um I just don't know what to make of Jim Moore Jr. I truly don't. I think I, I've seen Josh Rosen be man, if he and Sam Darnold could could just be on point next year, then then the world it's it's gonna be if Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen can be on point, it's gonna be like the year Liner went up against wasn't it uh McNown? Uh, yeah, I, I think everyone's kind of hoping, right, that, that Rosen versus Darnold is the game that decides the pac South at the end of the year. Yeah, that's that's what everyone's I, hoping, but we I don't think, know. We, yeah, we don't know. And I think Larry Scott, especially above anybody else, is hoping that that's the case, uh, that he can get somehow two Pac-12 quarterbacks to the Heisman ceremony. But um, I don't know what to make of UCLA. I don't, I, Jed Fish seemed like a good hire. Um, but I, I don't know that I trust Jim Mora. He had a perfect opportunity to kind of take the city away from USC while it was on sanctions, but he just couldn't do it. Um, so I don't really know if he's the answer there. And the crazy part about that was he did it while beating USC. He could beat USC and still not rest away the city while they were on sanctions. It's incredible to me. He could yeah. beat the damn team, still finish with 10 wins, but the best they do is like a holiday bowl. The fact that he couldn't take that leap, uh, granted this was, I believe, Oregon at the height of its power, but he, the fact that he couldn't you know, get that one and two, they always had these mind-numbingly stupid losses that I felt like that just sat to flat fell on their face, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what to make of UCLA. I really don't. I, I don't think. Um, I, I just he had Brett Hundley and he rode Brett Hundley as, as far as he could, and it just seems like he didn't have a plan outside of that. They well, I think Josh Rosen was the plan outside of that, but Rosen's not quite worked out like the way that they thought it would. Well, Rosen getting hurt last year definitely doesn't help. Uh, so I think a lot is riding on this year for Rosen and for Mora because I don't know that Rosen is really one uh, that's going to stay a fourth year if he has to because he's too smart uh, to do that. He knows that he can probably get paid for his craft 
uh, while he doesn't need to necessarily especially, make up a Especially if he has anything remotely close to a good year with the talent and arm. Well, I don't want to be repetitive, but the arm talent that he has as well as the mental ability he possesses, He's a guy that, to me, feels like he is one day destined for the NFL so long as he can stay healthy. Yeah, definitely. The talent's there. The talent is there, and uh, I'm rooting for him, uh, which is a weird thing to say as a USC fan, but he seems like a a really bright kid and really talented kid, and any kid needs to grow up. He hasn't thankfully done anything, knock on wood, profoundly stupid. so that makes it kind of easier to, to hope for the best for him. But, yeah, I'd love to see a a Pac-12, decide, Pac-12 South deciding game between USC and UCLA with those two quarterbacks. It would be a ton of fun for college football. I absolutely agree with you, and, and, and I'm with you on rooting for Rosen. I think <clears throat> I think his, his freshman year, there were, like, two throws that he made where I was like, good God, man, like, yeah, this kid's for real. Um. And, 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 and the first one came, and I can't even remember what game it was. That's the odd part. But I remember the throw. And I just I, – I, I want to say that it was against Baylor. And I, and I think it was a game that UCLA still wound up losing. But it was just a beautiful throw by Rosen that he placed. Kind of like it was, it was an on-the-move equivalent – of Sam Darnold finding Deontay Burnett. It would be like if Deontay Burnett were still on the move rather than in a place where Sam Darnold knew he was going to be. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you 100% on Rosen. Um, we'll wrap up with this, man. Uh, what do you think the final score of the Texas game is going to be? And who wins? Uh I, I think there's too many questions for Texas right now uh, and, and too many new things happening. I think SC wins. Uh, I'll be a little aggressive and a little, I guess, vengeful here, but uh, I think SC wins by two touchdowns. I think I mean, Texas hangs around. They have the talent, too. There's no reason they shouldn't. Uh, but I think SC ends up winning the game uh, by, by two touchdowns. That, that, that's, my, that's my shot, and I'm calling it right now. It's a very fair shot. I think you've given us a lot today. Uh, what I'd like you to do is take this last little bit, uh, expand upon Traveler uh, or Traveler Hates Thursday, tell people where they can find the podcast and what upcoming episodes you do have, though I think you already told the fans about one. Yes. Yeah, so we, uh, you can follow the show at THT under your US, underscore USD on Twitter. Uh, let me say that again because I fumbled all over myself there. But THT underscore USC on Twitter. You can find us on SoundCloud uh, with the same uh, same ad sign. You can find us on Facebook at Travel Hate Thursdays. You can find us on Stitcher and Google Play as well. And then uh, I have a podcast. It would be great if you could uh, find us and you can down- subscribe and download and rate and say lots of nice things about Will and I. We work hard at it. Um, but yeah, our, our, uh, like I said in the beginning, uh, we are in the midst of our preview with the enemy series uh, where we kind of try to find any person eligible uh, about an opponent upcoming on USC's roster. 
uh, sorry, USC schedule, and we kind of go through you know what's been going through, what's been going on on the summer for those teams. And uh, the, the next upcoming show is with Kalen Jones of House Sparky to talk at ASU Sun Devils. And what should be a very intriguing podcast, I would say, be I'm very curious. Uh, I know I thought I read something where uh, uh, Todd Graham said that Barnett is not going to start the year. Um, he'll have to win the job. But uh, something tells me that that kid will end up with the job. <laughs> something just tells me. Yeah, we'll see. Um, the answer to that question, I'm going to do a little teaser here, does lie in the question in the podcast with Kalen. Um, he is very connected with with uh, with ASU. He's currently a student there, so that helps. And he also uh, goes to practice on a daily basis. And he was kind of, I feel like he was the first guy on the Kalen Bellage emergence, um, which is fun because his name, obviously, the the piece arose out of their their names being the same and them being two very differently sized people. As Bowage is a very large man, and Kalen, to his credit for for uh, you know make poking fun of himself is not. But yeah, Kalen's a great person to follow on Twitter too. For anyone those for any of those uh, interested in ASU tidbits and knowledge. You know, uh, wrap this up on this. Speaking of like. I went down and I covered for Black Sports Online. Trevor Ariza had a uh, celebrity basketball game, like T.O. and everyone was there. Uh, T.O. is a serious baller, by the way. (laughs) Um, That guy is massively impressive. But (laughs) Rob, uh, BSO, Black Sports Online, like he's he's doing all the, the – the rap, like getting my articles ready and I uploaded all my interviews and he sees me like standing there talking to metal world peace. And he's like, dude, how the hell tall are you? And he's all, I'm um, around six, five ish. Why? And he's all, I thought you were tall. And I'm all, gee, what gave it away? Was it the fact that I was standing like face to face with metal world peace? <laughs> and he's all, Actually, it was the uh, Sierra Ramirez shot and the one of me next to B dot A dot where he said he finally figured out how tall I was. And I'm like, oh, all right. I guess people don't realize. Yeah, I guess people don't realize that I'm as tall as I am over social media. So yay for me. (laughs) There you go. That's always a good win. All right, Simone. Well, hey, man, I thank you so much for going a little long because my dumb ass forgot to hit record in the very beginning. And we will be back, I am sure, this year with yeah. a post, uh, post-game post recap look at what happened, what went right, what went wrong. I'll be sure to bring Simone back on here, and we will beat the hell out of his opinions if and when they are wrong. Uh, I'll also mind them because – I want to find out. I'm going to do what Barrett Sally does this year, which is keep track of the number of times I'm wrong. So with that, we will catch you next time here on my Fight on Twist 2017 preview and prediction for USC Trojan football. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.